0: Welcome to the Pace Performance Podcast. Today I'm speaking with John Noonan, Lead Strength and Conditioning Coach of GB Snowboard Cross and Alpine Ski. Hi guys, thanks for tuning to you into the Pace Performance Podcast. Today I've got another great guest online in John Noonan. John is the lead strength and conditioning coach for GB Snowboard, Cross and Alpine Ski. I first came across John about nine months ago when he was kind enough to reply to my email and give me half an hour of his time over the phone. Uh, since then, I've seen him uh, at the UKCA conference and anyone who was there, I'm sure would agree that his presentation was excellent, uh, really intriguing, the kind of stuff uh, that he's doing with his PhD and his research. In this episode, we talk about his his PhD and the kind of research uh, that he's looking into, also go into a lot of detail with the kind of freestyling aspect of his his work with um. With the extreme sport athletes. Uh, he also goes into a bit of depth about his athletic capacity evaluation which he's developed and it kind of leads on nicely from the episode 14 with Darren Roberts talking about creating a uh, performance playground. that's uh, that's quite a nice link. I also mentioned his YouTube channel about a million times so if you want to jump over to YouTube and have a have a look at the stuff that he's got on his YouTube channel some basically a snippet of the kind of things that he's doing um a lot of this kind of sexy stuff that he's doing but in the in the episode he kind of goes into a bit of detail that, uh the, the kind of core lifts uh that we're all you know used to seeing and, and missed out and i hope you'll agree it's another great episode that puts out some great information with guys working day in day out um, with different athletes so just before we get on the episode with john i'd just like to say if you are liking the now 15 episodes of the pace performance podcast uh please give us a rating and review on itunes uh, if you've got two minutes of your time if not uh, you can subscribe to the podcast uh again on itunes and that'll appear on your laptop uh on your phone depending where you listen you can also follow me on twitter at pace perform which is where i will update people on new episodes and everything that's going on the podcast and as i've mentioned before all the uh, previous episodes are on my website, which is paceperformance.co.uk. And the last little thing before we actually get onto the episode is John mentions at the end that he's kind of open to people dropping an email and discussing um, discussing, you know, what, the, what kind of things he's doing. So his email address is johnnoonan.teambss at gmail.com. So as this is in the episode, feel free to uh, drop him an email or, or get in touch with him on Twitter. And last but not least, I just want to let you know about some seminars that uh, a previous guest in the podcast are doing. Uh, K. and Flap, who appeared on episode two when it was uh, the podcast was very raw. Um, he's coming over from Australia to do some seminars on um, career development. The dates are December the thirteenth uh, at Results Inc. in Manchester. December 15th at EPF Gym in Belfast and December 16th at Storm Fitness in Newcastle. So if you are um, wanting that kind of information, it'll be a great day. Uh, I know I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be there. And if you do want any more information on any of the seminars, you can pop over to Keir's website, which is rugbystrengthcoach.com, or you can get all the information on Twitter um, with his Twitter handle, which he mentioned in the podcast in episode two. Uh, so that's a little shout-out. Before I go any longer, uh, enjoy the episode with John. Hi guys, thanks for tuning into to the Pace Performance Podcast. Before I get going, I'd just like to welcome John Noonan to the podcast and thank him for giving up his time. Before we get going, I'd just like John to give us a little bit of a background on his his education, uh, his career, and where he is now. So, welcome to the podcast, John.
1: Hey, thanks Rob. Listen, thanks for, for asking me to come on, man really looking forward to this for some time and um, so well background on me firstly I mean I, I started out as a, as a personal trainer for many years and a number of gyms for about five years before I really started to think about working within strength and conditioning and, and how I was going to take that path so I started working in in football in around 2006 to 7 um, a couple of voluntary roles first with uh, a women's national guardian uh, team and that was through the university link and then I started also working with at Hull City under-16s and some youth players, again both voluntary, before I really took my first role at, at Scunthorpe United Football Club and that was part of an internship on a Masters programme after I'd finished my Bachelors. And I worked there for a year and that was a fantastic experience. And it was really an opportunity through that experience I met um, some of the staff at Chelsea Football Club and then moved there. And I spent just a, a bit longer than a season working mainly with the, the academy and under-18s and then some work with the reserves before I moved then into rugby and started working with Leeds Carnegie Academy for about four years, sorry, two years, and then the last two years of that four was working as the head S&C with the the first team before I, well, during that time, met actually a snowboard cross athlete, um, worked with her for a couple of years, and then it just kind of fell into place where I was, at the end of the term at Leeds Carnegie, I thought, I'm ready for a next challenge and something different, and an opportunity with now British Ski Snowboard where I currently am, came around to work as the lead S&C um, overarching a number of disciplines but more recently funnelling down to working with the park and, park and pipe program so anything freestyle ski and snowboard related uh, is now what I do and pretty much look after the design implementation and delivery of the strength and conditioning.
0: Cool so obviously there's a, there's a big jump from well what seems on the, on the surface of it a big jump from football and rugby to um snowboard cross what have you taken from your kind of more traditional sports into this um world of extreme sports
1: yeah it it was really interesting and and certainly a fun transition and and i guess i was fortunate at the time to still work in full-time in rugby and and have the security of that role and get to know and understand another sport first before i jumped in with two feet so you know being being able to work part-time with a snowboard cross athlete who uh, I'll, I'll be completely honest on the surface of it I knew nothing really about the sport other than what I'd seen briefly on YouTube and did some searches I spent a lot of time listening first I sat down with the athlete asked the the critical questions that you know such as what's your what's your competition schedule what are the most demanding things for you you know where are your weakest what do you think through training through strength and conditioning that you've identified perhaps that will make you a better athlete or the next world's best thing um, and it was really asking those critical questions but I guess the main three things that came from my experiences over time in football and rugby alike was was I guess getting smarter as a coach and using my coaching experiences to develop and and further manage relationships. So, um, you know, I'm certainly not precious to to admit that I first when I first came in, still quite a young S and C coach working across football and and even to some point in my first year as head S and C uh, at Leeds Carnegie Rugby, where I felt. Okay, I'm a young coach, also working with a young, relative average age group of players. You know, because I have coaching my title, I I need to kind of be authoritative. I need to maybe try and identify that if I can get the respect from the players, I can get more out of of our work and our relationship. But you know, I maybe kind of operated naively to think that that was going to be uh, natural and inherent because I have a title, <laughs> and it was only really until that I, I dropped the idea that. You know, I'm going to have respect already because I've got coaching coach in my, in my role that actually I need to drop that and work harder on building a rapport with an athlete uh, and just, I think, spend more time getting to know each and every athlete I worked with. And then from that, that built a bigger bond between me and the actual group to make sure that they started to listen more and adhere to the work that was already taking place in the past. But I think they, they just bought into me as a, as a person a bit more as well. So they're just working harder in general relationships. So that was probably the first thing. Um, and then of course working across a number of speed and power sports has, has been able to give me the underpinning knowledge that I would use with snowboard cross and now with freestyle skiing snowboard because they're the main char- kind of characteristics that are occurring often in the sport. So that knowledge has helped me along the way. Um, and I think probably thirdly as well that the jobs that I've had, particularly at, uh, in Scunthorpe in football and you know, of course with higher profile players in in Chelsea and then more recently within Leeds Carnegie, you're dealing all the time with players with massive pathologies and and huge contraindications in in how they normally operate and what what are they capable of in the realms of athletic performance. And perhaps in in some of those jobs where I didn't have, you know, a a big sack of resources to play with, you have to get pretty smart and and learn fast of how you're going to get the best from an athlete who perhaps can't move in a traditional way. Uh, And often, you know, these guys as well particularly in freestyle, because there's big, big trauma involved in what they do. And there's, I think as Darren Roberts alluded to in the last podcast, there's massive stresses going on these guys. If they get it wrong, they're dancing on the knife edge of pulling off a trick, which is the world's best thing or something which can be really catastrophic physically. So quite often you're faced, you know, often with guys who've got pathologies and you have to play around with those pathologies in order to get them functional to train often on a weekly basis. So you learn quite a lot, I think, about functional anatomy and and how you're going to get the best of that as an SNC coach.
0: So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so you, on I've looked. Well, we spoke about before about your YouTube channel that's got lots of uh, lots of videos. Are you doing certain things with uh, with some of your, your snowcross athletes and your kind of extreme sport athletes? But are they still doing? The kind of more traditional uh, gym strength and power work, or is it obviously more the um, the kind of exciting stuff that you put on your YouTube channel? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, no, for sure they do. And, and,
1: and certainly not naive to think that we have to make everything extremely sport-specific uh, in order to make it relevant and transferable. So, yeah, they're definitely doing the statutory uh, strength lifts, which, you know, because as we know, there's a massive body of research to suggest we we have to work hard on strength in order to underpin power and, and the ability to augment that at different times in the season. So that is, that is definitely a, a trend right throughout. the. I think the video you're referring to there, the, where I'm sort of crawling around uh, and trying to look athletic, was, was an idea I thought, well, how can I um, make an introduction to the group with something different and unique? Because particularly the, the main group of people I'm working with right now uh, are very creative thinking and, and free-spirited athletes and they don't recognise or identify with traditional strength training. And I think quite often there's a culture that exists a bit like football, where if I'm to do traditional lifts, I'm going to become stiff and, and bulky, and that's not going to be transferable to the sport. And you know, I do think perhaps in some ways, if that is ever applied within a program, then then that can be the case. You, you do tend to lose. I think this fluency and high level coordination uh, in non traditional movements, which you know, I'm referring, of course, to freestyle ski snowboard now. So. The idea of the the i guess the the crawling circuit i developed was just watching stuff on um on youtube i think mike fetch was 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 a guy who's, who's talked about something um called um animal uh, animals crawling uh no sorry it'll come to me in a second but there's this kind of series of animal crawling taking place and i thought well it looks like kind of similar in the functional characteristics of if i can that sometimes within a movement develop stiffness and then have good coordination and fluency and then bring more stiffness at a second point of the movement. It kind of carries across to the freedom of these athletes where when they take off from a jump, there's a massive pulse of muscular force and stiffness that occurs to get off and get amplitude so they can have the airtime, but then really cool fluency in movement where there's a lack of stiffness taking place and they coordinate and they work with the momentum that's carrying them through and the other you know gravitational muscular forces that occur but when they land again, they have to bring huge levels of stiffness. Um, so appreciably, the crawling, you know they're not on their feet, which is probably the closest transfer you could have. Um, but there is a lot of, sort of trunk and upper body structural uh, work going on, big time and attention and stuff. So actually, after using it and asking some of the freestyle guys, we've tended to use that more as a warm-up now than a training stimulus. Um, but it's different, and it's its probably a little bit out there in its thinking, but it's having some effect if you're with me, you know?
0: Yeah, I mean, I know it's it's kind of been, it's coming more, more popular in your traditional sports. I mean, I know a couple of guys in football who are using it with their academy. I don't know if you were using it while you were at Scunny or at Chelsea, but would you take that back if you got a another role in football or, or rugby? Would you kind of use that with them? Yeah, well, do you know what? This is, um, I guess, to,
1: to get comfortable with something before you start um, trying to introduce it into uh, a wider programme. That was something I used a lot, um, at my time in uh, in in Lee's Carnegie, more so previous than football, I, I dabbled in one or two things. But the look at you know, sideways thing, what is this guy talking about? Why am I doing a travelling Spiderman? Yeah, what yeah. the hell is an inchworm cobra? Uh, and then when you start to put those things at rhythmical gorilla crawls and bear crawls, with then you know transitions, the thing this this guy is not on my wavelength. I cannot do this. But and actually, I would pull that sort of um, you know different exercises and skills out when I needed to maybe bring. Uh, a bit more of a, a jovial I guess feel to the atmosphere so we do it a lot in warm-ups and the lads would rip the hell the lads would rip the piece out of me for just cocking about and, and looking an idiot but they'd have a go of it and some some of them are really functional and they can see the relevance of it and all oh, right if I maybe be a bit more stable here I've more range at this hip joint then I can actually see the benefit and I feel better when I go out to my practice mm. so it was really playing around with it at first in, in warm-ups that it started to become true practice for me now and, and seeing your relevance and I guess being careful and smarter of where I would choose for that intervention
0: to come in, you know? Mm, yeah, that's cool. I mean, you didn't you didn't mention your, uh, your education and stuff. You didn't mention your PhD. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your research and kind of your PhD as a whole? Oh, perfect, yeah. So
1: um, my current role right now is really juggling two full-time uh, efforts with you know, lead, lead S&C with BSS and then also... Uh, the phd so the phd we're looking to use to better evidence uh, our understanding of the sport of freestyle so what the demands are for the sport because quite frankly nobody really knows what's going on uh, on the snow right now if people do they're certainly not sharing that information so we're trying to evidence better what are the functional demands going through athletes on snow and and then through that if we can appreciate what demands are taking place then we know how to train these guys and then hopefully we can bridge the gap and have greater transfer in training because we understand what we're training for. Um, so it's a longer term process. So it's, At the moment, there's a couple of studies which we're still building the semantics around, but, but probably for the most part, we're going to look at measuring muscular force, uh, joint kinematics, um, and also muscle activity whilst they're on the snowboard, um, predominantly landing from a height with and without technical challenges, so we can try and recreate the environmental demands of what's actually happening in snowing mean, Believe it or not, I've, I've tried and failed with a few wearable technologies recently to, to try and get out on snow and collect something that's really realistic and relevant. But it's extremely difficult to do so with you know affordable technologies and, and often stuff that's available on the market. It becomes a real problem for you to try and bring something applied to your practice. So um, we're probably going to start off in the lab for the most part and, and, and try and build something relevant and then probably go into an indoor snow dome and then you know maybe thirdly do some kind of in, training intervention and measure uh, how close that training uh, intervention such as maybe a plyometric drill can mirror the demands uh, and, and have a transfer in training practice
0: mm. that sounds really interesting just one question do you ever get on the board yourself and have a little bash
1: <laughs> uh, I can't snowboard, I can ski. I'm nice. uh, reasonably competent. I get, I, you know what it's like? I guess when you're competent enough, you, you're gliding around, you're enjoying it. I get a bit kamikaze. I try to <laughs> do a few jumps, but I nail myself every time. So um, I need to sort of rein it in. But snowboarding probably is the next thing I need to, need to get into, just cool. so I can appreciate what the riders do a bit more. Yeah, so, cool. uh, it's just really cool, right? I'm very lucky.
0: Yeah, it sounds like the coolest job in the world. It's not bad. It
1: really isn't bad. We've got a few trips um, coming up this year. And and for me, it's it's really important time to be able to use that and build a rapport and relationships with the group. And and I guess just have a better appreciation for what's going on. Because unfortunately, like I maybe thought when I first came in, you ain't going to walk into an environment and find the athletes are there at a certain time and you can have hands-on practice. So in my role right now, the athletes are all over the country So when they're in the UK, which is maybe three to five months out of the year, it's about travelling to them and maximising contact time. And then the rest of the time, it's it's distance managing when they're away. Um, But, yeah, I think the trips this year are going to be extremely useful to try and build a bigger impression of what's going on.
0: Of course. I mean, just going back to your, I haven't been stalking YouTube channel, I don't get any uh, financial gain out of bigging it up, but... um, (laughs) Yeah, some of your YouTube clips—you um, kind of show them doing lots of gymnastics, kind of movements. Uh, how important is it to give these guys kind of the freedom to express themselves, like the wood in a competition, doing whatever they're doing? Yeah,
1: massively, massively. One of the things I've, I've certainly had to be aware of, uh, in order for me to have a, a greater benefit as, a, as an SNC, is what training is currently taking place within this culture, and and. Of course, they're spending a massive amount of time um, refining their craft by being on the board. You know, These guys are hanging out with friends every single day and, and simply often the best in the world just because the level of practice they're bringing to it. Um, and for the most part, when, when they can't get abroad, which is extremely valuable, they're either in the snow dome or they're in the skate park or they're going to some kind of free running center because they see the transfer of, of these less traditional movement skills in a very non-traditional movement perspective and how that can move across to the board so these guys will for the most part train their aerial awareness in the gymnastics hall and trampolines i'll then try and bring some relevance and specificity to different challenges with jump takeoff and jump landing so we're constantly bringing back to their jumping and landing skills because not that it gets missed but it's a really really effective skill transfer if you can improve their motor control, particularly in deceleration, because that's where we're seeing the biggest kind of trauma taking place. If they get it wrong, if their skill's wrong, they come in, uh, and that's where we're seeing injuries occur. So if we can limit the occurrence of injuries, then of course they can be on the board a lot more and just get better as athletes. Um, But you know, for the most part it's how I kind of put a recipe together with coaching is to figure out what are the most effective training modalities out there that they currently engage in and then what's missing and what do i need to bring in so that might be the more traditional strength training but you know we'll package that in a manner which is not identifiable as normal strength training it's i think as um um i think as daniel uh, sorry david joyce alluded to in his book you know i think he now looks upon strength training as resistance training with coordination and it's very important that I think we sell that to to a non-traditional training group um, in order for them to engage in it. But you know, for the most part, it's it's inviting them to engage in it and it's definitely an athlete-led process. It's not over-instructional and certainly not over-directional. So they're invited to it sounds crazy for some SNCs perhaps, but they're invited to engage in a practice. We provide rationale for that practice. Um, and we acknowledge their feelings and perspectives along the way and provide opportunities for Independence within it and make sure we've got continual feedback on their adherence with it. And I think ultimately, as an SNC, often we have to avoid controlling behaviors and funnel them down a path they're not comfortable with and invite their creative involvement in the practice so that we can get an improved outcome. Uh, and I think if you look at um, the self determination theory, which is something I alluded to when I spoke at the UKSA earlier this year, that's, that's an underpinning schematic which if we can understand someone's motivation or intrinsic motivation more to be determined for an activity through hopefully different extrinsic factors such as risk and reward and and why they should spend more time or less engaging in a certain type of activity, we can hopefully make them more self-determined and improve their practice. And there's, there's been some research done on that. And I think the leading authors in the area are Deci and Ryan, and I'd really encourage anyone to go and read that stuff. Um, but but we we've really inherited this practice, particularly within performance training, because it's taking place within their skills training. So for me to have an effect, I have to mirror the 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 environment and the coaching. Um, I think language that's been used, and the direction they take with the technical work. And then they're very therefore I think very comfortable and happy to get on board with while we're doing S and C. Mm.
0: So can that can that freedom be transferred across just going back to your experience in other sports can that freedom be transferred to kind of more a group traditional uh theme settings or is that just a recipe for disaster
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh, god goodness i think i think that's an incredibly difficult balance to find and and it it probably comes down to being smart as a coach to recognize the diversity of character you've got in front of you as a group uh, and also what you're what you're required to do and what you're expected to do as an SNC coach. So you may have expectations where a coach wants certainly, you know, very strong prescriptive trend training to be done. And, and of course we know if we can, I think, manage the the stimulus, we can hopefully control the outcome. But and, and often what I tried to do, and I think what made me stronger as a coach within rugby was um, Allow the athlete in front of me, you know, if I felt they were experienced enough and they were switched into the activity, that these are your options in order to get the same outcome. Which one is going to get as their quickest? And also, which one will you enjoy doing more? And I think that that joined respect uh, and joined up thinking between the two of us. And hopefully that, that kind of spread between the group where they came in and they went, I'm not going to duck out from this activity. I can't do cleans today. Well, all right, fine. There's other ways for us to get this done then it's having, I think, that respect and appreciation that they could come in and I wasn't going to come down and say, well, if you weren't doing cleans today, go off, and do the, go off and see the physio because for whatever reason you've picked up a niggle at the weekend, I'm not having you in the gym doing doing soft training, I want you doing the cleans. It, I think that environment, it, it kills you, your relationship with the athlete and I think if you want to get maximum buy and you have to be um, very aware and have good empathy as a coach with the athlete,
0: I mean, just milking the kind of the freedom in the training um, topic, yeah. but with that freedom becomes um, maybe a difficulty to quantify and measure what they're actually doing. Yeah, uh, how hard is it for you to 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 measure what these guys are doing? And it, is it actually required from from the guys, obviously, above yourself?
1: Um, we're, we're taking it into to freestyle skiing, snowboard as an example. I said earlier on. We, we have no idea on the demands of the sport currently going through in, in, in competition and in practice in some ways we can we can of course make an effort to measure you know how often they're getting on snow uh, what's the volume of, of tricks done you know of the number of tricks that they tried to execute what were should we say uh, in a traffic light system their red level tricks the hardest tricks they would execute which you know if they get wrong is going to bring the most trauma and risk the green tricks they can do all day in their sleep and that's that's where they're competent and live. So we understand there's maybe a change in intensity if we look at the trick difficulty. But then, you know, between the tricks, how many tricks did they successfully land and how many did they fail? And, and you know, that is a form, I guess, of monitoring their, um, their technical work. But trying to get an athlete to buy into filling out pieces of paper, um, maybe getting on, on their laptop on, a, on an evening and filling out um, quantifiable values, which for me may be really useful Actually, in the grand scheme of things, what am I going to do with that other than at the end of the season go, okay, well, this athlete did X, Y, Z, but I've still got the same athlete in front of me. How valuable is that information if if it's retrospective? Mm. So if we're going to be effective with our practice and day-to-day, and this is maybe the weakness of, of me managing an athlete abroad as a in that because I'm not there, how much influence can you have? But again, I think that comes back to the relationship you build with the athlete and the coaches. So they're, they're continually reinforcing things like, all right, look, you know, athlete number one, you you are gonna need sounds like a it's like a robot I'm calling it, but you are gonna need to do your prehab before you go on snow because as John's identified, this is really important to reduce your risk when you're on snow. So do your mobility exercises, do your activation stuff and hopefully you'll train better. And inevitably when they engage in that process, we eventually find them in it. But I'm digressing some, but going back to I guess your question, within the environment we sit, it's very difficult to quantify what's going on. But I think in some ways, without being stifling, we have to make some strides toward understanding what athletes are doing more in order to kind of break the, not not break the practice, but improve what they're currently doing. Um, because if, if I don't understand the volume going through an athlete, uh, and let's say they're continually picking up an injury, there might be a training-induced uh, an issue, an overtraining-related issue going on. But if I can't assess that, uh, and often you know values and numbers will back that up, I'm going to have to use my coaching brain and, and just through question finding and answering to figure out is what they're doing conducive to the wider picture of him being able to meddle in four years time, if this is what we're seeing every single year. Um, so I think I'm jumping around, but it's very difficult to get numbers on these guys. So I'm not certainly going to get too besotted with trying to pick this up because I think we can get a bit too um, you know number based and orientated as, as coaches these days. And in some ways it works but I think we have to have a good balance between, um, you know, what's feasible, what do you really need to do and what's going to improve your practice as a coach, what do you really need? And I I think ultimately that comes down to the relationship with the athlete and the coach and and being honest with each other.
0: Mm. I mean, just going on to the um, the kind of monitoring side of things, something that's really interested me, again, milking the the YouTube videos, but you demonstrate – some of the athletic capacity evaluation that you put your guys through. Do you just want to talk to us a little bit about um, that kind of process and how you came to devise that that evaluation?
1: Okay, yeah. So, so that was something. I um, There's an idea that I evolved upon, which was already a set in play really from our current performance director, Paddy Mortimer, uh, and this was really for, for the benefit of of Alpine Ski. We started on this road because for an athlete to jump from um, a uh, what am I trying to say For, to, to go from a, you know, a, a less level of support from uh, within the service and the system from coach to athlete they have to be able to pass certain technical and physical criteria uh, up until this point it's been completely if you're going to get on the team as a GB athlete you have to pass a technical assessment and you know the coach would would get them on an indoor snow, uh, snow slope or out on the piece somewhere and say, right, if you can do X, Y, Z, you're good enough and competent enough to be a team member. The problem is we were getting athletes perhaps from a, a talent pool which maybe weren't physically uh, ready at that time to join the team and you know broke down early because they weren't physically um, developed enough in certain areas. Or actually you could see pure physical limitations right on the face of it and yet they were brought into the team and it really was their physical or their lack of physical development at a younger age, that's meant they weren't able to cash the checks later in their career even if they do get very good technically so quite often we found athletes were there by default and not by design so the reason for the for the, um, the battery of assessments was to be able to quantify how good somebody is physically in a certain area which you know, of course transfers to the skill um, and, and essentially grade their performance within it um, so we we used it as a uh, as a blanket assessment to share with other regional ski coaches and, and ski systems and to invite their athletes to, to come in and be evaluated and create an athlete profile and and not a test and we say the word you know evaluation and profile because i think again within testing perhaps we, we can be a bit um besotted with the idea that this is a test these are our benchmarks for the test you have to hit the, hit this level for the test in order to be competent and considered competent whereas actually the test should be used to, to gauge a profile on the athlete and then of course we come in later and use interventions to improve their profile, their physical profile. So we're trying to change uh, I think the identity of, of a test and athlete and coaches getting hung up, hung up on testing but to say well, you, you've got this range of, of athletes in front of you, what is their profile and, and how close can they can they get to the end of like we understand you need to have xyz skills to be a really good skier for example. So it, it's a grading tool essentially.
0: So just give us a couple of examples of the kind of stuff that's in there. Obviously like, I don't know if it kind of it compares I'm um, doing a disservice, but you've obviously got the kind of FMS where you've got the overhead squat, your lunge, that type of thing. What kind of things are you looking for? Yeah, so the, the, now you're testing my,
1: my memory there's, there's seven movements in in the pathway uh, and we've got things on there um, such as a crossover hop test. so you know there's a strong body of evidence t- to show that, um, you may be um, at more at risk of let's say a knee injury or as, a, as an example ACL injury which of course is very common in skiers that if you've got a big discrepancy an asymmetry in score left to right side then you may be more at risk uh, versus another athlete who has got a closer asymmetry so that's one of the assessments we use for if you will screening an injury risk of an athlete um, there's a there's a hexagonal jump in there so it's a quick speed change of direction jumping around a hexagon shape essentially three times so there's, this, there's a there's, you know there's a reactive plyometric component involved in there but also coordination which does mirror in some ways that the skiing movements that they'll go through on the piece when they're going through slalom um, there's other things such as you know a chin test which all right doesn't probably carry massive relevance to doesn't look like a skiing movement but we understand that in their start when they're pulling off to, in order to go down the run they're trying to generate as much speed as early as possible to have momentum and speed for their time so if they can push off best and they're using the upper body to achieve that as well as the lower there's clearly important traits there that carry over and also when these guys land there's there's often huge impact um injuries which will occur at the shoulder you get a sublux um joint or something taking place like that so if we can make them stronger on the, sh- on the shoulder girdle again you can hopefully reduce the risk of of shoulder injuries and and also improve your neck strength, which, of course, the neck is very active in the chin too, isometrically. And that may lead in some way to try and strengthen the neck to reduce concussions. So that's just three examples there. There's seven different movements, which in some way you could find a a relationship to to the world of skiing and and how practical is that? But what we've actually been able to do is is continue to use these battery of movements to, to screen just general athletic competence. Um, so we're not trying to get too hung up on, on you know, what's the score out of, of three, maybe such as an, an FMS, but collect a body of evidence from our, all our athletes and di- disciplines and, and and share that information across the disciplines to figure out what kind of athletes, what, sorry, what athletes are looking like physically when they come in at the door, let's say 13, 14. Um, and if we're going to make them the next, the world's next best thing, how are we going to get them there? What have we got to do physically and, and how does that link into their skills
0: training? I mean, I know you. We've we chatted before, and you're. I think you, you started off with quite a broad um, number of athletes from different, different, obviously different snow sports. And you've kind of, um, kind of whittled it down to, to a couple of focuses. But across the different sport sports, um, what are the what are the kind of similarities and differences? Because they obviously all jump, they all land. But are they pretty similar? or Are you kind of defining them quite quite rigidly? Um, I
1: guess. The guys that I've had contact with. So when I first came in, it was alpine ski, snowboard cross. Some carryover with ski cross, um, but not so much. And then now more for sure. My my role really is taken with the, the freestyle guys, and that, but I still work with the snowboard cross group too. And and I guess the major difference between those two, and if you were to bring alpine skiing into the mix, was you've got gravitational athletes. So, you know, of course, the freestyle do the tricks, and there's there's a big performance need, and to be able to do. Your high-level skills in the air, because that's how their sport is graded. It's technical proficiency, and then you've you've got the guys who stay on on land, so that they're more speed uh, emphasis in in what they do. So there's you know, there's, a, there's a speed time to how fast can you get down the piste and we'll compare that time to the next athlete. So you've got gravity, and then you've got speed races, and they're the two major differences. But the kind of thing that joins the both of them, there are always occasions where there's there's air time followed by you know, force absorption, force reduction. And one of the biggest things that we're trying to do when we meet these athletes is uh, improve their functional movement and control, um, carrying closer to the the technical demands of the sport, but making sure we minimise energy leaks where possible so they can maximise speed on the snow, because if a race is losing speed when he he turns a corner because he can't control his frame as he turns around a gate, then he's clearly losing speed further down the course. And for a freestyle guy who has to jump, if when he comes into his landing off a kicker and he's got two more kickers ahead of him where he's got to do similar tricks to get off and, and, and make points for 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 the style of tricks, if he loses speed on, on each landing, then of course he's losing ground momentum and therefore airtime owing to the next trick. So inevitably, it's um, it, it sounds pretty simple, but making sure our guys jump and land extremely well mm-hmm. is often where we're starting.
0: Cool. I mean, I've kept you for nearly 32 minutes, and so i know, we're just going to um, round it up a little bit. But I know you did the UKSA conference, which I don't think I told you was a uh, brilliant, uh, brilliant presentation. Everyone had kind of I was sat with was absolutely buzzing off it at the end. Well, thanks, thanks no, very much. No worries. Um, but what other events have you got coming up? um Kind of how how can people keep up to date with your work, social media, etc.
1: Yeah, so uh, I'm really excited. I'm I'm actually going to Australia on November 3rd to present at the uh, the Australian Strength and Conditioning. Uh, annual conference too nice. so uh, i can't wait for that and a similar line we're going to present the research that we're currently looking at and, and how we're working with these athletes and some of the challenges that we face so that's going to be um really cool and then um you know of course where possible i try and get out and work with the athletes on peace so uh, we're sharing some of that information now and again on, on twitter and just talking about what we're doing um and then of course, you know. We're still early days within the PhD, but uh, we're making some decent strides now. So hopefully little pockets of research and evidence will start to appear over time. So, um, yeah, anyone can stay in touch through uh Twitter handle there, which is John underscore M underscore Noonan. Um, and yeah, just anyone's interested to in get in touch then. And of course, drop me an email. I'm, I'm more than happy for you to share that, Rob. Uh, I'm happy to chat to anybody.
0: Yeah, happy days, and the the world famous YouTube channel's on there as well, isn't it? Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, I want to get a bit of time to try and drop a crazy video or two. Uh, yeah, that's pretty fun.
0: Yeah, that's cool. Right, mate, I'll um, I'll say see you later, and just last but not least, uh, thanks for giving up for half an hour of your time. Really appreciate it, and I will. Uh, I'll speak to you soon. No problem. Thanks for having us, Rob. It's uh, it's been really great. Thank you. Cool. Thanks a lot, mate. I'll speak to you later. Thanks. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thanks for tuning into to the Pace Performance Podcast. I'm sure you'll agree the little chat with John Noonan was really interesting with a, such a unique population that he's working with. If you want to keep up to date with everything on the podcast, please subscribe on, on iTunes uh, and give us a rating and review. If you haven't got iTunes, uh, you can listen on my website, which is paceperformance.co.uk. Or you can just follow me on Twitter, and I will keep you up to date with everything that's going on the podcast. Thanks again for listening, and I'll check you in the next episode.